Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew 4, a very powerful passage. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Then our epistle reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning to read with verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to turn to Isaiah chapter 8. In a moment, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 22 of Isaiah chapter 8. But before we do that, 
I want to pray. We're going to ask that the Lord would move, that he would move by the power of his Holy Spirit, that he would move in us, that he would take his word, this word, and apply it to us with the hands of a very, very precise surgeon to our souls, and that he would do what he has promised to do, and that we would be submissive to the work of that scalpel. So let's go before the Lord our God and pray, and if you will, you pray, and ask that he would give us all ears to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many, many times over our lives we have come before you in worship. Many times have we read your word, and many times have we asked that you would do your work in us. Even when that work is painful, even when that work is not something that we particularly look forward to. We ask that you would do it because we trust your hand. Father, we pray not only for the work of your word in this time, we also pray for the work of your word through your church. As your church is faithful to your word, that you would do your work in our land. That you do your work in those who govern us. We pray that you would do your most gracious and powerful work in the souls of men, women, and children. And that you would redeem your people. We know you're the only one who can do that. So humbly we come before you. You who are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ask that you will begin with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, I cannot tell you how many times my father would tell us a story about an uncle of his uh, who would go, who was an elder in the Norwegian Free Church in Brooklyn, New York. And as he would go to these elders, oh, so you know that I now, you now know, I have Yankee roots on one side of my family. Okay. But he would go to these elders' meetings. He was an old man at that time. And someone would propose, another elder would propose something or say something that he just did not ring true with him and he would take his Bible and he would open it and he would point to it and he would say, show me where it is written. My great uncle understood what so many in the church have departed from. That is, that the word of Almighty God is the first and it is the final arbiter of what is truth. The word of God is authoritative. The word of God is what directs us to, to worship and to live and to act in accordance with his will. It is the word of God. 
in the Reader's Digest section entitled Humor in Uniform. Several years ago, the following account was submitted by a member of the United States Coast Guard. He goes as follows. He says, when I was a trained yet inexperienced radio man in the Coast Guard, we were sent to sea to ride out Hurricane Hazel as the cutter crashed through 30-foot waves. I held on with one hand while grasping the radio receiver with the other. Jackson, I heard our bosun's mate shout over the roaring storm. What are you doing with that radio? I've got it in case we have to call for help, sir, I answered. Jackson, we are the help, he moaned. There is a reason that the Coast Guard is the help. They are the help because they are trained. They are equipped for the purpose of riding out storms and rescuing people in cases of extreme danger in vessels that are made to ride out those storms. The Church of Jesus Christ has been trained and equipped, prepared, if you will, for the rescuing of souls in danger, of riding out storms, of going in where others dare not go. However, it is abundantly apparent that the Church of Jesus Christ has been setting aside the very equipment given her by Almighty God with which to carry out that work. And that is the Word of God. The authoritative Word of God. So I'm going to point to some instances in our denomination. The denomination to which John and I belong situations that have occurred, just as an example. There is a church in St. Louis. This church has been pastored by a man who identifies himself as a same-sex attracted Christian. It used to be a PCA church. The church has been dealing with this individual for the last four years, almost five now. No one is willing to say, you can't do that. You can't be that man. That church hosted an acting group, stage group, for a series of short plays. The name of this acting group is Transluminate. Transluminate, according to their website, is a short play festival designed for the celebration of transgender, agender, non-binary, genderqueer, and gender-fluid artists. I want that to sink in for a second. 
One of the plays that they were acting out was a play entitled Testosterone People. Short sentence description. Andy helps his husband Jack administer his first testosterone shot. They talk about their love, their marriage, and the oddities of being quote-unquote testosterone people. Another play entitled Transcodicil. Joe, a transgender man, and Shauna, a transgender woman, are married. And Joe is carrying their child. Joe's Aunt Tammy has recently died, and Joe was expected to be her sole heir. Tammy's executor, Virginia, tells Joe and Shauna about a codicil Tammy added to her will, which may prevent Joe from inheriting the estate. It turns out that Joe's transphobic mother, Loretta, and her church pressured Tammy into creating the codicil. Thanks to Shauna's shrewd thinking, the codicil goes through its own transition and Joe and Shauna stand up to the bullying. And underneath all of these descriptions of these different plays hosted by this church is a warning at the bottom. And it says this, content warning, plays may contain adult language and frank sexual situations. Folks, this is not a lie. This is not something that anyone just made up. This is a church of Jesus Christ who did not see that it would be difficult, if not profane, if not absolutely contrary to the word of God for such a thing to take place. So don't think it's just another denomination. Don't think it's this, those, those liberals out there who don't hold to the Word of God. We hold to the Word of God and we're safe, right? Well, it depends on how you say we hold to the Word of God. They would claim to be holding to the Word of God. They did. In conversations with that presbytery and with that session, we had these conversations. They said, this is not contrary. And we'd say, you know, it is contrary. And it went on and on and on. The trouble was, the courts of the church that were charged with overseeing and caring for and making sure that churches were in alignment did nothing Oh, they had investigations, they had some, some trials and investigations, but they came back with no charges. But the Word of God charges. The Word of God charges. The Word of God says no. And we become people no longer of the Word. That's how it happens. Now, it doesn't happen overnight just like that. It happens sometimes gradually when we are being led about by the culture, being told, do not say that, don't say that, you can't say that. Let's do a little test. Let me ask you this. Here is the test. If I were to say to you, find the following words in Scripture for me. Find these words. Gay. Homosexual, sex addict, 
alcoholic, gender dysphoric, etc. You won't be able to find them. You can't find those words. You might think, well, Brian, come on, you're, being, you're nitpicking those things. We know those things. The Bible uses different language and different words. Words, you know, sort of migrate, and we want to be able to speak to the culture accordingly. I understand that. You say, it uses different words to describe these conditions. You're, you're making my point. You're making the point that I am making. The Bible says, where we say gay and homosexual, the Bible says sodomite or sodomy. And it's described as a perversion. Sex addicts are fornicators committing fornication. Gender dysphoria is a perversion. These are not conditions. They are sin. And we must say it. We have taken everything that the Bible, the Word of God, where God has spoken describing actions and thoughts as sin, from, for which He demands repentance, and we have converted them into clinical conditions that are to be either cured, continually treated, or simply accepted. We have followed this world. We have followed this world into the deception of Satan. And we must wake up before it's too late. Listen to Isaiah chapter 8 verses 11 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, 
And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Do we feel like we're in that darkness? Is there anybody that does not look around in this culture today? I've had this conversation. I could probably count five conversations that I've had just since we entered this room having to do with these issues that we face today in our culture. And we all know that those issues exist within the culture. But we should be so extremely concerned when we turn and we see it in the church when we see it in the surrounding church. And I'm not talking about just those liberal churches out there. I'm talking about the church, the evangelical church. It's happening. It's happening. I guarantee you that we will see it this summer when the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America comes to have the assembly here in Memphis, where John and I will be attending. We're going to see it. It seems like it comes on every single year on a whole new front. Do you honestly think that 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 years ago even, that a church in the PCA could do what I described to you the church in St. Louis did without an immediate response. Folks, we've drifted. We have drifted away from the Word of God. We are no longer running to the law and to the testimony. We are looking to this culture for answers. I'm using we in a very broad, general sense. But we're not, we're not free from the risk. It doesn't take much to drift. Try it. If you're out in a current somewhere, my brother and I, when we were small, we used to, we used to, there was a boat, we would go in the summertime and we would row up the, this ocean, the deep ocean. And the, sometimes the wind would be coming at us where we were really, truly having to both of us on, each of us on, on one oar, rowing harder and harder, trying to get a little bit farther down so that we could finally drop an anchor and fish. If you're going to maintain this discipline, this, this commitment, if we're going to maintain that, we have to fight to do that. You don't have to fight to drift. It's very easy to drift. And the church has drifted. And many of you may be aware of this This modern phenomenon, I don't know how modern it is, but it's a somewhat recently observed phenomenon called the Overton Window. You may have ever heard of the Overton Window? 
the Overton window applies where there's a, there are two opposing views. And when one view is pushing and pushing and pushing to move the other side over, the other side finally says, stop, you can't go any further than that. And the side says, okay, we're not going to go any further. And they allow it to sit there. What has happened is that you have drifted. And then they come back and they begin to push again, again and again. And you begin to fight back and you go, no, no, stop. No one ever pushes it back over to where it should be. In the history of the Reformation, there was this clarion call that went out. It's called Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. It is only Scripture. That, that call didn't go out just because the Roman Catholic Church had begun to capitalize on indulgences in order to have a building program for St. Peter's. They declared that because it is true. Because it's the Word of God. The, the building of St. Peter's through the... Through the uh, action of indulgences was just a symptom of the disease. The disease of moving away from the foundation of the truth of the Word of God. Francis Schaeffer in his last book that he wrote before he died, back in the early 80s, wrote a book called The Evangelical Disaster. And in that book, he describes what he saw as the greatest issue that we faced in the evangelical church. And he said it is over Scripture. And he was right. That is our only battle of significance. Is the, the reliance upon the dependence upon, the standing upon, the preaching from the word of Almighty God. The passage that John read just a moment ago from 2 Timothy. If you read that and you read, we're all familiar with verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We don't normally read what precedes that. And what precedes that is Paul's reminder to Timothy that he's, he's seen all that he has done and he's telling him, follow what I did. Follow my conduct and my teaching, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my persecutions, my sufferings. And I endured them. And he goes on and he says, he says, everyone who has a desire to live a godly life will be persecuted Everyone will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. He's saying, don't move. 
It will become rough. It will become hard. You will be persecuted. Things will happen to you. People will do things to you. The least of which is that you will be canceled. That's the least. What do we think we joined into? It is the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is marked first and foremost by a humble adherence to the word of Almighty God. What does that mean for us? It means that we have to teach it. We have to teach it. Something as simple as that. What does Paul say to Timothy? You've learned this at a young age. From a young age, you've learned it from your your mother and your grandmother. You've learned it from me, Timothy. You've learned exactly what you are to do and how you are to believe and what you are to say. We have to teach it. This is simple, but it is profound that if we're not teaching this to our children, to our grandchildren, to our great-grandchildren, to the young ones that are in our churches, to those who are in our youth group, to those who are in nursing homes, if we're not teaching this, they too will drift. They will drift. This is the anchor, the Word of God. So when they say, when your young people say to you, I think we don't need to say all that, what we've been saying about the transgender stuff and everything. People are getting very angry and very upset about that. Of course they are. They're going to. And what you say is, honey, we don't have anything else to stand for than the word of God. There's nothing else. There's nothing left. As we've talked about before, I, I truly, I get it. I understand. What else do we have to stand for? Who is going to teach your children? The world would gladly indoctrinate your children. Gladly. They are. They have already indoctrinated you. How many of you were uncomfortable with the fact that I said those words, you know, transsexual, homophobic, all of those things? How many of you were uncomfortable with that? You don't have to, please don't raise your hand. I understand. It's not comfortable. Why is it not comfortable when you say the words sodomy and sodomite, perversion? It's what scripture calls it. I watched as a teaching elder in the General Assembly in 2019 was speaking about just this issue. And he was presenting before this massive gathering of teaching and ruling elders in the PCA. And as he began to present this overture that he had from his presbytery, he was using those words. He said, sodomy, sodomite. And he began to say that. Do you know that he was, had people standing up at microphones and objecting to his intemperate language? It's in the Bible. 
speaking from the Bible, from the Word of God. Folks. But it didn't start there. It didn't start there. I know, I've talked to many of you who have said, I don't know how to talk to my kids about these things because they're believing this. They're believing B. And I am firmly, soundly set on A because that's what Scripture teaches. And I don't know how to talk to them. You talk to them by telling them the truth. Lovingly. Lovingly showing them exactly what the Word of God says. This is what the Lord said to Isaiah. He said, don't fear them. Fear me. I am the living God. Jesus said the same. He said, he said, don't fear men who can only kill the body. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Going against his word. And here's the end result. Tell me we're not seeing this today. That they will, as Isaiah says, walk in darkness. That they will walk in darkness. That they will be distressed. They will be hungry. Do you not see that today? When you see individuals who, who are, have massively life-altering abuse through the hands of surgeons on their bodies... Do you not think that they are in the midst of darkness and despair? Because they have gone against the word of God or because their parents have gone against the word of God? It's where we are. We are there. I read an article by a reputed Christian Again, in our denomination, saying that we don't need to turn back the tide toward not allowing same-sex marriage. We don't need to do that because it would be too destructive to the social order of things. I can't say what I want to say, but I, I'm telling you, We must turn back the tide of this horrific evil because the Word of God says so. The Word of God declares that we must repent. And, and by the way, in the, in the passage that John read from Matthew 4, if you look at it, you'll see that I've highlighted a number of, of verses, words there. But... What did Jesus rely on when he was up against the devices of Satan himself, of the deceiver? He relied upon the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written over and over again. He, God in the flesh, could have rebuked him and sent him on. But why? This was not just an example. It was power. The Word of God is powerful. And the question is, do we really believe that? 
Or do we see it as an opportunity to think happy thoughts, do nice things, read interesting passages? It is the Word of God. We must, must, must become people of the Word. And we don't do that by drifting. I'm guilty. I must confess, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Four years ago, five years ago now, I would go to our general assemblies and I enjoyed being there, seeing friends from seminary, talking to people, fellowshipping around meal, having coffee, all these things. I would go into some of the meetings not paying much attention to things that were going on. This is a confession. And then I woke up. And I saw that there was no ability to sit back and rely on the fact that we have declared that we are people of the word, that we hold to that sound doctrine of our faith because every time you relax and let up, the enemy is right there moving that issue farther and farther away from the grounding of the word of God we need to understand that there is a battle going on and it will not cease until the day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ returns and that battle that battle is against the word of almighty God it is our only hope There is no other tool. And we must take it into, into war. In verse 14, the Lord declares with Isaiah, says, let him be your fear, in verse 13, let him be your dread. And then ironically, in a weird sense, he says, and he will become a sanctuary the one that you have allowed to become your fear, the one that you've allowed to become your dread, yeah. <laughs> There's rest there in him, in that sanctuary. He is the one. And to those who are not afraid of him, but instead are afraid of those who fight against them, those who fear man, he will become a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. And they'll fall and be broken. But as one going to battle, in verse 20, he says to the people of God, to the teaching and to the testimony. You ever seen the... Um, the war movies where there's a, an individual, he's on the battlefield, he's the, perhaps the lieutenant and, or the sergeant, and he is, he is, the troops are back here huddled into the foxholes, and he's, he's seen a break in the line, or he sees something on the line of the battlefront, and he says, everybody on me, follow me, go there, right where I'm going, go there, on me. It's exactly what Isaiah is saying. 
to the testimony, to the teaching, to the law of God, everybody on him. It's all you've got. And it's all we need. But finally, we don't want to leave it right there. In Isaiah chapter 9, Listen to the words in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Stand upon his word. His light will shine. He will give to you His peace. This is the Word of God spoken to the people of God. In a moment, we're going to come to the visible Word of God by which He communicates to us the truth by which he strengthens in us the grace that he has so wonderfully and graciously bestowed. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your word, by your word, you have made known to us your will. And we trust that you, Holy Spirit of God, will perfect in us that wonderful will where we will one day see our Lord and Savior stand upon this earth where we can declare with our brother Job that we will see him upon this earth with eyes of flesh. We will see him and no other. Our Redeemer And we will declare praise to him, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, mighty father. Until then, make us faithful, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand together and sing hymn number 141, God in the gospel of his son. Please stand.
you who are Christians, people of the word, look up and receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.